Hi there. Welcome to listeners from across the globe. My name is Allison Nune, and this is Best Damn Reality, a new podcast intending to help bridge the spiritual and material worlds. Each week, I invite you to join me and to suspend all preconceived notions, to open your minds and your hearts to seeing everything from a much faster perspective. Should you be enticed enough, please also consider visiting me on my YouTube channel and on my business Facebook page, both under the name Allison Nune. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Episode 2. Welcome back to those of you who tuned in last week to the inaugural episode. I'm going to kind of pick right back up and remind you that while, yes, the goal is for people to be able to tune in to a single episode here or there and be able to enjoy that episode and have an idea of what it is this podcast is about, it really, especially these first three months, really is intended for you to tune in every week for I will be very purposely connecting all of these stories. As we previewed last week, each of the next 10 episodes are going to be centered around one or multiple personalities that are present and successful in a variety, a wide variety of segments of our society. Some people, you know, may ask, you know, what, what is your expertise? You know, what, what are you really coming to us with as your area of knowledge? I call myself an energy scout. I'm like a hub of energy where energy comes, where people come to refuel, to get motivated, to get inspired. And I see myself very much as a hub this like transfer station of all forms of energy. The tagline for my little company of me is it's all about the energy. And there are definite underlying assumptions here with this show. As I mentioned last week, it is very much intending to bridge the material world and the spiritual world. So it's tough these early episodes because I'm very much trying to appeal to members and to listeners that would identify in both. People that identify as spiritual or religious and people that for whom that that isn't something that defines them in any particular way. But I am under and working under the assumption for myself that each of us has a unique role to play on our planet at these times. For me, once my awakening happened 10 years ago, I looked back and all of a sudden, everything in my life up until that point made sense in a way that it never made sense before. It was connected in a way that I just almost stupefying to what degree I could see, oh my God, that's why this happened. This led to that. That wouldn't have happened if this hadn't happened. And I all of a sudden remembered almost instantly what my, what I perceived my soul's purpose to be in this life. 
and I looked back at all the different jobs I had had, all of these paths that I had crossed with in no small, you know, no small number of very successful people in very different segments of society. This podcast and the project with which this project this podcast is being simultaneously launched, Ripple 2020. This is a combination of all of the experiences that I've had in my life, all of the skill sets and talents that I've acquired, and this feeling, this calling that I'm answering on what what to do with all of that. So I'm trying to speak to, I call it the greatest common multiple as opposed to the least common denominator. I feel like our society in recent decades has really gotten more and more appealing to the least common denominator. And as such, we see the discourse between one another, the lack of respect, the anger, the frustration. I think we can agree that perhaps coming together at a different level of energy could be beneficial. And that is what I'm intending to be with my voice, with my stories, and most notably with this idea in Ripple. Now, in last week's episode, I shared a little bit about my personal struggle that I experienced once graduating from undergrad um, with my first two degrees that I had as an undergrad. My first job out in the world was in corporate America, but I was laid off six months into that job, and I did not have a plan B. I was engaged at the time, despite really not having any business contemplating committing my life to somebody else when I had no clue who I was, but, you know, young, youthful mistake, um... I didn't have a plan B, and it wasn't until that relationship, until my marriage ended at 28 years old, that the real work began to try to find how I was intended to fit in this world. And I think one of the reasons, I know actually one of the reasons I struggled to the degree that I did, is because if you've got sort of a calling in the world of energy, I mean, come on, right? Super general, and it's unseen. Yet now I understand post-awakening, that's exactly where my expertise lies. I've got this ability, my intuition and what I pick up on, it's, it's like I feel the future or the potentiality, the various potentialities of all sorts of you know, depending on how you want to focus your particular perception of something, whether you want to talk about the potential for an individual, the potential for a team, the potential for our world. Clearly, I leap pretty big when I leap and go after things. Um, Hence, a $4 million project is no small thing. It is with great humility that I come suggesting a project of that magnitude, but it is also with tremendous confidence. Throughout my life, I would say three of my greatest areas of, you know, assets, my strongest assets, my extreme positivity, my ability to see, being able to and willing to seeing multiple perspectives of everything, 
and to not have to personally align with it to be able to appreciate somebody else's perception of something and the potentiality of something becoming real, like the best coaches, like the best teachers, both of which I've been in my past, a coach and a teacher. You see, you take an individual or you take a team or you take a class and you see what the potential is. You see and assess where something is at the moment and you determine within a time frame, a season, an academic year, how much you can progress that group or that individual. That is what I am at my core without doubt naturally. It's just I wasn't intended to serve in those capacities within the current paradigm. Okay? So now we've established some of my gifts, energy, world of energy, world of unseen, taking something from an intention and making it a reality. And I see myself as this bridge, as this fulcrum, as this centering point, connecting out to all sorts of things in all sorts of directions. In this case, I had to bring it into a framework, into a project to really begin to share the ultimate vision of seeing all of humanity in a very different light. And in this case, it's connecting through these first 10 weeks, all these different segments of society that I have interacted with throughout my adulthood, touching down for just two or three years at a time, perhaps in multiple places of employment, but when in those places of employment, crossing paths with extremely powerful people and connecting with them very deeply, if only for that short time. And now looking to weave it all together through this project called Ripple. Now, I'm also coming at you clearly outside of the world of hierarchy and titles and labels. I'm coming at you as an average human being. You really couldn't get, you know, again, in the third dimensional world, I'm a giant nobody. No family, no career, You know, I don't have that standard resume, which is why I'm putting together an idea and then reaching out to the folks that do have those connections and have had success in the mainstream world. Bridging all these different communities, everything from Hollywood to professional athletes to big business to politics to artists to entrepreneurs to people who are being driven and guided by faith, to people who are more substantiated in the material world that they can see and sense with their five senses. I am intending to connect and work to connect all of that. It's like I'm on everybody's team and nobody's team. Speaking of teams, that is a perfect segue into today's episode's story section. So here's how I'm going to approach this and, and, and bear with me as I explain it going forward. I won't take the time to explain how I share stories, but because whenever I share a story, it is never just a single story. 
there, I guaranteed there are usually going to be four to six other stories that get woven into any one particular sharing of any one particular story. So rather than tell it in a, in a straight, more linear focused way, I'd rather share the three personalities primarily around whom all these stories and chatting are going to exist around for the remainder of this episode and talk about three topics that are, I'm going to interweave as well. So the general energy stream, kind of the, the, the tone energetically I wanted to set for this episode was centered around the theme of having a balance between being confident and having humility. And I said that I was going to share a story about Joe Dumars and Chucky Atkins. I'm going to add a third personality that is connected more to Chucky, but he also was playing in the NBA for a few years while Joe Dumars was still playing. But Chucky actually played on the same team with Kobe Bryant. So I'm going to add Kobe Bryant in as a connector to the, to the energy that I'm trying to work with. And then I'm going to weave it with the talking of athletics, obviously, basketball specifically, teams and teammates, this idea of all of us living our greatness, and the power of the now moment. Okay, so those are all the sort of, uh, if you imagine it like different colors, Okay, each of those things is a color, and now I'm going to try to paint a picture as I purposely allow the bounces and the tangents and the connections to just go where they're going to go. So I started playing basketball when I was in the fifth grade. I uh, didn't even have the opportunity to begin playing until I moved out of the city of Detroit and out to the suburbs immediately showing me, you know, right there, how much more opportunity there is when you start tapping into greater resources, right? Or, or greater, um, uh, just, you know, it, it made sense to me why like inner city kids always have a much harder time breaking free from the lower socioeconomic patterns, just because there are opportunities available to them you know, are just not the same as it is, for example, in the city of Detroit versus when we went out and moved to the suburbs. Sorry, already a side note there, but that's one that I think is applicable to present day because, again, unless you've actually ever experienced a lack of opportunity, it's pretty hard for you to understand you clearly can't speak to that experience. And I felt like I, albeit very subtly, I felt it right away in this isolated example of what was available to me and how that multiplied as soon as we moved out to the suburbs. So I started playing basketball in fifth grade. It wouldn't become my favorite sport and as such altering my life profoundly until I started high school and played for Bob Bloom, one of the best coaches, Hall of Fame, Michigan coach, an outstanding program that he established at Canton High School. And that's when basketball changed my life, like in, in ways I still can't put into words. But I was definitely a fan from the moment that I picked up a ball. I love every sport I've ever tried. And I was a huge Pistons fan, right? I mean, I was a huge, all the Detroit teams, uh, the Tigers and the Pistons especially. 
And I, I mean, I remember crying in 1987 when Larry Bird damn stole that pass in the corner and made the three and eliminated the Pistons in the 87 playoffs. I mean, I was definitely attached to the team and idolized the hell out of, you know, especially the guards, right? You know, Dumars and Isaiah were two of my favorite players. Well, my uncle worked for the Pistons uh, back in, this is the late 80s. We're going back to 87. And he arranged for me to play one-on-one with Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars Christmas vacation of sixth grade. It was on a Monday. It was right in between Christmas and New Year's. So it was the very end of 1987. My dad drove me out to the Pontiac Silverdome. The Pistons were still playing out there at this time. I watched the end of practice, and I remember Adrian Dantley being at the free throw line. I remember uh, meeting Chuck Daly. Uh, We were sitting in the bleachers, you know, a couple rows up from the floor, and Chuck was to my right, and he had his left hand on my knee as we chatted. And then Isaiah came out first, and, you know, he was Isaiah, completely charismatic, had that just, you know, he has a gorgeous smile. He's just so cute. And he did his cursory time with the little town boy, signed his autograph picture, and, you know, and it was fine. It was great. You know, it was all you could expect, really, with how much is asked of these guys. But then Joe Dumars came out and, oh my God, I just, I had my red fake converse on and I, I, I was pretty new to the game. And what I remember most is not actually the playing that we did, but his energy and what exuded from this guy was, it, it was, it was palpable. It was It was so far beyond him as just a basketball player. And as crazy as it sounds that I could detect this at only barely 12 years old, the sensitivity that I've had in my being pretty much since I was out of the womb is no joke. Like when I say I pick up intuitively and feel things deeply, I'm not even exaggerating. Like I can't overstate it. So it was a real, genuine effect, long-lasting, that meeting Joe Dumars and him taking that time. He spent way more time than Isaiah, and, and it was so, like, above and beyond. But it was just, it was more complete humility, complete kindness, just an astounding human being, and you knew it simply by his presence. And right then and there, the tone was set. That is what I wanted to be. Whatever, like, that was my goal, to be that, whatever, whatever. It, it you know, you, you can't put words on it because it's this, it is the balance of humility and confidence. It is while at the same time, simultaneously, You're aware that you're a speck in the grand scheme of things. You are nothing, right? We are nothing in the grand scheme of things. And that's the humble, that's the humility part. When you, when you know that you are without doubt, a simple expression of this oneness of this essence that you can't describe with words, 
it is, that's the humility. Yet we are also being asked to live that spirit that is us in our own greatness. And we are all born and determined, predetermined to have a specific purpose. And when you know that, and when you, and, and it can, obviously it's multiple purposes throughout our life, but the general idea of living your greatness and going after your dreams and being the best human being, well-balanced human being in that process, that was Joe Dumars. And to a pretty darn high degree, I got that without even necessarily, I definitely didn't understand it. I was 12, but I felt it. And all I knew was that's it. That's what I'm aspiring to be. And from that point on, his number, number four, became my number. But more than my number, that number to me represented an energy that I was now intending to model. So now fast forward. I know I said I wasn't going to tell it linearly, and here I am telling it linearly. Fast forward on the linear timeline about six and a half years later, and by some crazy fluke, Allison somehow manages four foot, 11 inch, 11 and three quarter inch Allison attracts a division one basketball scholarship. No plans to play, zero expectation that I was going to play anything in college. Um, I was only being recruited. Actually, at the recruiting was mostly being done at like division three, division two level, couple division two, but mostly division three. And all of a sudden, summer before my senior year, I'm playing in Chicago in a tournament. And after that tournament, I'm being recruited by the University of South Florida. I had never even been on an airplane when I flew down. Uh, I was a little fish about to join a very, very big lake. And I was ill-prepared. However, without going off on the college basketball story, because it's an important one, and it's one that actually deserves an entire episode dedicated just to it. And that will happen, I am sure, months down the line. Because it was a monumentally and not a positive experience in any way, shape, or form. Destroyed my confidence. It was a horrible experience for me. And it, you know... The highlight was meeting Chucky. I mean, the highlight was was more than that. The highlight, obviously, was, I mean, I've got girlfriends, really only one that I'm still friends with present day, but I was definitely friends with and connected with a lot of the girls on that team in my short time that I was there, but I was nowhere near the teammate that I was in high school. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know how to adjust to that level, and the coaching staff I certainly didn't feel guided in that. And the head coach in particular, the approach that she took with coaching our team was 180 degrees in the sense that I just, I wasn't, didn't even feel like a human being to her. So that was a really relinquishing that scholarship early into my sophomore year. One of the most detrimental experiences of my life. It was right out of the gate in adulthood. Being a quitter when you're an athlete, not, you know, not easy things. Um, but in along those lines, though, I came upon Chucky Atkins. I met this guy 
who um, was playing at USF at the same time as me, a couple years older, and lo and behold, the same energy as number four, as Joe. Super confident in the way where he wasn't this like cocky, arrogant player. He was just confident and with no self-doubt. And despite having a smaller physical stature than most NBA point guards, you knew that he knew when you met him without him saying a word that he was going to make it to the NBA. And it, it was just, it was such a privilege to be around that, if only from the distance. Because I, I was definitely not regarded in the same way as most of my other teammates. I wasn't there long enough, and I just never really gathered myself enough to be able to, to even show myself if I could play at that level. The fact that my confidence took such a hit from my coach, I had never experienced that, and I didn't know how to reconcile it. But witnessing, at least from a close periphery, Chucky in the two years I got to watch him play was a real privilege. And it was unbelievable how similar it was to what I witnessed in Joe Dumars. So imagine how I felt when just a couple years later, I learned that Chucky was playing for the Pistons. You know, sure enough, he made it to the NBA and he did it the hard way. He had to go play in, uh, I think he played in Croatia for a couple of years before the Pistons drafted him. And who drafted him but Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars was the president of operations. Um, and I think he was the president of personnel. So he was integral in choosing Chucky. And I remember learning of that going, you know, what? Can you, that's, that's kind of an interesting, you know, synchronicity there. That this childhood idol of mine would become closely connected to a guy that, you know, I, I kind of had a, a pretty, I wouldn't say a front row seat, but I was in the lower section of him, you know, at that pivotal time of making that transition from college to the professionals, because not everybody can make that transition. And so, you know, it was unbelievable to me, and it became more unbelievable to me when it coincided with this particular coincidence or synchronicity. So November 9th and 10th, 2012, I was three weeks away from launching my company online with a written blog, and officially it would become legal in January, so another two months after that. Chucky and I, I think, had just become Facebook friends. Like, we weren't, we weren't close, you know? Like, he, I wouldn't even be surprised if he didn't remember my name at this point. And on the weekend of November 9th and 10th, the University of South Florida, where we all played, had an alumni reunion. And, you know, I, to be honest, I felt even awkward going. You know, I was only part of the program for a little over a year. You know, I relinquished my scholarship November 2nd of 1995, my sophomore year. So I felt, I just felt, I didn't even feel exactly in place going as an alumni, but I was on this high from my spiritual awakening. I had just, you know, decided to leap fully into my own world of work. I was, in a lot of cases, still in my kind of naive place. I hadn't yet faced the reality of this huge leap of faith that I was about to take. Um, 
but I was in a good place. So I went. And the day that I drove over to Tampa to go to this event just happens to be the one and only time that I met Rick Doblin in per- in person. Rick Doblin, if you listened last week, I brought Rick up because Rick owned the home in which everything that I'm doing right now was birthed. And I and Rick also happens to be a guy that has been interviewed by Joe Rogan three times. And you got to bear with me for some weeks before you begin to really connect all these dots, because I know it's going to sound a little disparate. And I really can't tell you how or why it all connects and why I feel like it matters. But there are just too many insane synchronicities here that I cannot ignore. And so forgive me as I bounce and drop all these points, but I brought Rick up last week because Rick has been interviewed and would be known by Joe Rogan, I guarantee it, by name. And Rick, you know, and what Rick's world is about, I won't go into that now, but the home in which uh, this was all born is a home that Rick currently still owns to this day here in Sarasota, Florida. And that is the official address of when my company launched. And this all, I met him on the day I was heading to Tampa for the reunion. And at the reunion, Chucky was being honored. So it was the first time I had seen Chucky since he had his whole NBA career. I almost watched him play a couple of times when I was home in Detroit, but it never lined up. So, you know, in his typical humble self, they were going to be honoring him. I think he had just retired, you know, at halftime of the game that was going on that night. And we were all in the stands and, you know, 100% like humble Chucky. Like he just, he, he, it was just unbelievable. Like just not an ounce of arrogance within him. And there's just something very, there's hard to describe how much I don't know. I feel that. And I think it's something that it's because it's a hard balance to not when you're, especially if you achieve high success in something like a professional athlete or a Hollywood actor, or, you know, a professional musician to maintain humility, I think is a challenge, um, for a lot of people. And with Chucky, he was able to do that. And it, it just, it's something that I think is incredibly admirable. And I had tremendous respect for him in that regard. So he's, we're hanging out in the stands and then afterwards we're all eating at, I don't know, they had some hors d'oeuvres and things, maybe a full dinner. And I'm at sitting next to Chucky on a table and he says to me, he's like, listen, when you're ready to write your book, let me know. And I remember thinking, what? Like, what is he talking about? One, like, I'm not even that close. What? Like, I'm like looking around almost like, is he inside my head? Is he somehow seeing my future? Like, how is it possible that he even knows that that's something I want to do someday? How does, it, it was, it blew my mind. And I don't know that Chucky would remember that that happened. Because to be honest, for a short period of time, I had to question whether or not I imagined the whole damn thing. Because it was that shocking. And, and I doubt that he would remember that. But I was reminded three days ago when I reached out to him, present day here, 
to just make sure it was okay that I was going to be talking about him. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be saying anything but positive things, but I refrain from using most people's names when I share stories. And I just wanted to touch base and make sure that he was okay and that he knew I was going to be talking about him and, and some his influence specifically on me. And I didn't even expect him to respond. Not only did he respond within like, I don't know, an hour, he, he's like, girl, you know, whatever you need. And he gave me his phone number, you know, and he said, you've got my blessings. And again, I kind of shake my head because I don't know, perhaps it's my deep history of not having self-love and self-respect and being relatively new to that game within myself, but it's, it, it, it's humbling to me that somebody of the magnitude of achievement and, and holding true to himself and staying confident in what he knew he was capable of being and doing, I, I'm just humbled that he is willing to give his blessings to me and so much so to actually pass along his phone number. I, I know I will never abuse that contact information. And I just, the vote of confidence that that was for me three days ago will feed me well into the next few months because it just means so much mostly because I have no idea from what he's basing that support and his blessings on. You know, it, it's not like I showed myself to be, you know, able to withstand the atmosphere of being great when I was in college. I, 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 I clearly wasn't ready yet, you know, and, and I often look back on that time and I, I try not to have many regrets This is one of the ones I still have not made fully, I haven't made peace with. Despite the fact that had I not given up my athletic scholarship, the unique academic scholarship, I would become a recipient of just four months later. I referenced this last week as well, the Kosovo scholarship. I would not have applied for that even if I had kept my athletic scholarship because I I wouldn't have needed it. To be honest, why would I apply for a full ride if I was still on my full ride for athletics? So even that is unbelievable. Again, the Kosovo, you know, group made my top 10 in terms of the most influential energies in my life. Chucky made it, Rick Doblin made it, and the Kosovo Society made it. And all of those aspects even if it's just been glimpses of those stories have now been shared. And I, the last one I, I want to touch upon, you know, is, is Kobe Bryant's connection. So the day I learned of Kobe Bryant's death, anybody that even remotely knows me knows that I haven't had a TV in 12 years. I pay attention as little as possible to mainstream, to anything that isn't in my immediate existence of life. Um, I stopped watching the news. I stopped watching politics 12 years ago, and it's the best thing and the simplest thing I think anybody can do if you want to instantly see your peace and happiness notch go up a few, is checking out of the news. Now, as I feel like I begin to get into a position where I may and intend to have much more influence, then I will begin to pay attention to certain things a little bit more. 
But for now, I don't pay attention to the news. So when I find out about things, oftentimes, you know, it's way after the fact. But on this particular Sunday, uh, it was the 26th, January 26th, if I remember correctly. And I was coming out of the sauna at the Y. And I looked and I had a text from one of my greatest female mentors. And she is the one that told me. And I, I was in shock. And instantly, I sent a text to one of the biggest Kobe Bryant fans that I knew, that I know. And that is an old college teammate of mine who lives in L.A., and who also knows Chucky, and she was the biggest Kobe Bryant fan. So I immediately texted her and just like extended, I mean, because I knew if I was being affected the way that I was instantly affected, I knew that she was also going to be feeling this loss. And for the next two days, I remember just, again, I'm highly sensitive and I swear my, my entire being for the next 48 hours felt the reverberating effect of the loss of Kobe Bryant. I swear to God, I felt it across the globe. You know, like, like I, I could feel what I felt like I was tapping into was a global mourning. I mean, watching grown, these, these not just grown men, you know, but these strong huge, physically huge men express about Kobe. And I I just, my heart, like no words for that week after his death. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't even know half the things about Kobe that, that were being shared. I didn't know all these things he was involved in post-career as a basketball player. I mean, again, we're talking he's that number four. He's in that category of astounding human being that was never going to settle for anything less than living his greatness right up until the last breath that he took. And if it was, but, you know, but I wasn't really connected per se. And yet the loss I was feeling in my heart for our planet was so immense. And I really hurt for the very few people that I knew that had a direct connection to him. My, my old college teammate, by extension, simply just as an L.A. huge basketball player as well and an L.A. born and bred in L.A., um, but then Chucky, because I remembered that Chucky played with Kobe on the Lakers. And I remember popping over onto Chucky's Facebook page just to see, you know, like, again, I I didn't feel like I was close enough. I felt like he was probably being bombarded with personal condolences being expressed. And I, I didn't have that, you know, I don't, I respect the relationship that I have with people that have achieved great success, knowing that a lot of the more famous ones are constantly, I am sure, bombarded with all kinds of just attention. And with Chucky, I just wanted to check in from a periphery because I couldn't imagine what he must have been going through. And I just remember the story that he shared on one of the very few, because he did not post a lot about the loss of his old teammate and friend. But what he did post, really, I felt that in my heart as well. And he, it was just about the day he arrived in Los Angeles, his first day as a Laker. And Kobe taking him out, I think they were just grabbing a bite. 
And he remembered just going, he said, riding with Kobe, you know, as Kobe just introduced him to the team and welcomed him to the team. And I just, I, I, I just, again, astoundedly took in from afar what it must feel like, one, to live your greatness at the level, because it's something I aspire to, to share that with others in a team environment and then to mourn the loss of that in the physical, in a relatively, you know, 100% unexpected way, and definitely, most would argue, too early. Um, it was, it's just been, you know, kind of brings it full circle, if you will, to these very powerful shifting times. And I don't know what purpose Kobe's death you know, we'll never know. We never know necessarily the real meaning of anything. It's up to us down here to sort of weave together the best meaning of everything. But I remember feeling that Kobe's death, the effect that it had on allowing a softening of a mass of the masculine energy is what I remember feeling the most. Like watching shack and like you know these 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 guys break down out of their obvious pure love and connection with their friend and teammate and colleague and and the the fact that it's just been only in relatively recent years where men can even feel safe expressing in that way men just 30 or 40 years ago likely would not have felt nearly, you know, I, I just remember thinking that, boy, if that's the best way I can tell the story, th- thank you, Kobe, for just sending a giant softening energy to the masculine energy prevalent on our planet. Because if I were to argue for a greater need right now, it is a softening of that masculine energy. It is the allowing of the divine feminine energy help it breathe more on our planet to help heal this planet and balance this planet out. We're not living in a balanced time in any way, shape, or form. And if we want to try to bring it to its most general level, it can be argued the balance between masculine and feminine energy. And part of our greatness from a spiritual perspective, and it's okay even if you don't believe in the spiritual perspective, even if you don't believe, if you're an atheist, that's 100% cool. But know that there are people out there that think this and believe this. And you just having that awareness and that understanding that you know, there are many things happening for much bigger reasons right now. And we are all being called to go within and to call upon ourselves to sort of feel what our greatness is in this moment and how we can express the best version of ourself. And I long to do that with others, right? I long, I am not enjoying these times in early July, 2020. I'm a single person with very no family and hardly any friends in the town that I live. And I traveled for work and I traveled in and for a company, Ironman, 
in a team work environment that I have not experienced since high school. That need of working together for something bigger than ourselves. That is what makes sports and music and the performing arts, anything that you do in the moment, co-creatively, together, in pursuit of something greater than just the individual, is magic. And I, I didn't realize to what extent Iron Man was filling that, that much-needed aspect of my personality in this life is that need for teams and a team effort. And I see us all as on a giant, one giant human team of humanity and really think we need to work harder if we can to rise above any and all us versus them categories, like, and stop seeing one another as separate and remembering the interconnectedness of everything. And, and I tried to, to show that in this silly way, but yet I think it's extremely real way that my own little life has come together in these, like, I mean, I don't know. I think it's pretty powerful that the connections of Chucky and Joe Dumars and then Chucky to Kobe and the fact that one of my old teammates who also knows Chucky lives in LA and then she happens to be one of the closest people in my world right now. She's my web person and my, my, you know, my, my, my teammate. She's my teammate. And, and, you know, the last time I was part of a team, I was not a good teammate. I didn't know how to be a teammate in the environment of our college program. And Chucky ties that in, and my L.A. friend gets tied in with that. And everything I'm doing is spiritual, and I feel like with Kobe's passing, that brings in a very big spiritual component. Actually, that's a perfect way to kind of conclude this week's episode. Perfect. Interweaving the spirit of sports. Let me phrase it this way. For me, when I speak from my, my vaster, higher-in-the-tree spiritual perspective, with that lens on, when I look at sports and when I speak of, let me pause here before going into it through the example of sports, when I speak of greatness and one living their greatness, I, that to me is synonymous with one's uniqueness. Now, when we look and examine sports in particular, look at what an opportunity an athlete has. They get to express completely as their unique personality in their unique body. And in this case, they have it perform through what we call sport in this example, but no two players of any sport are the same. Yes, there are influences just like Hollywood actors or any actor. It doesn't have to be in Hollywood. Just like musicians, there are influences to be sure. But no two individuals play the same sport, play the same instrument, play the same role in the same way, because they're unique. And 
they use their body physically to express this uniqueness and they treat it in that process as the machine that our vessels really are. The greatest miracle we're surrounded with, and there are many, but I would argue the greatest miracle that we take with us every single moment of this particular life is our body. The insane things that our body does without our conscious awareness, without us mucking it up and trying to control it in any way, our body does insane operations just in continuing to live. And these athletes take that vessel, they focus it in one particular way, one particular sport that requires your body to move in a limited way. To be an excellent basketball player takes very different skill sets and expressions of a physical body than it does to be a professional and an excellent triathlete. Very different. So they hone it in through the sport or sports that they choose And they get to express exactly how their vessel, they get to choose how they get their vessel to the place where it can express the quote unquote best in the now moment. These are all huge aspects, spiritual truths that our current mass reality does not mirror back enough of this to us. To the fact that we living our uniqueness is exactly why we're here. That's your greatness. Is being able to give yourself the time and the space that this dimension requires. That this life on earth requires for you to feel what your unique calling is. See, I've been dreaming <laughs> since I can remember. Since I was a little girl. I have been dreaming of a world that in mass recognizes and encourages the uniqueness of each of us that recognizes and encourages not just our mental capacities and our physical capacities, but also equally important, our emotional capacities and our spiritual capacities, a world that understands the powerful, most powerful moment of time is the right now moment. Now is where we're at. Now is all your is where you're ever at. Is all where you're ever at. The whole idea of past and future are arbitrary and linear time is only arranged as such because our limited human minds aren't able to comprehend the greater truth which is there is only the now moment and then the next now moment. And then the next now moment. It has never made sense to me the way that our world is structured to prepare for all these futures down the line. You know, things like retirement and insurance and money and putting all this aside for years, decades down the line of time has never made sense to me because we do that and we put the focus there at the detriment of valuing what's right in front of us. Again, the beauty of sports, the beauty of performing arts, the beauty of music. What are you coming together to do and be in that moment? I want to see opportunities 
for all of us to be able to do more of that. And then perhaps most importantly is to be able to expand. We are all naturally expanding beings. That's what desires are. That's what dreams are. It's like our tendency as our essence to expand and to want to expand gets funneled through in our humanness, through our desires, through our passions. What makes your heart and soul sing? Follow that. We need people to be following that now more than ever and to trust that there is a rising momentum on the planet happening right now. For those of you that have felt called that long ago, put this in a drawer, stuffed it down deep because it wasn't the responsible thing to do. You don't do that. You don't chase after dreams, especially if they're not practical. How are you going to pay your bills being an artist? How are you going to pay your bills if your passion is dance? Well, I'm here to be a voice to absolutely encourage and support each and every one of us. Start small, get reignited. Find your fingerprint within your personality. Find ways to express the uniqueness that you are. Find ways to come together, even in the smallest of ways, with other individuals in the now moment and co-create. It's time to get creative, to expand the playing fields, to expand the courts, to lose all the constrictions and rules, and to come together and agree to just include more to focus more on what's right in front of us as opposed to preparing for lives two decades away. Get creative in how we come together, how we share resources, how we allow opportunities for more and not just the ones that are following the more mainstream path, not just the ones that are super confident, but the ones that are quietly living their greatness and give those folks more opportunities to spread that energy on the planet. Not with any judgment of one another, but to give ourselves permission to start coming out of these roles, coming out of these constrictions and truly getting creative with one another. As we take into consideration, we have an experience and then we give ourselves room to implement that experience into our life and to integrate it. And if it causes a change in us, have the room to be that change within ourselves. To take our emotional maturity. We have a lot of work to do collectively, emotionally, on the emotional scale and learning how to respect one another as the unique beings. And to see one another not from a hierarchy-based not as better than, just simply different. Yes, if you isolate it in any particular skill set or a particular talent, you might have somebody that's a, a better this than that than somebody else, but it's not a better human being. And really removing more of these hierarchies, removing the competition and learning how to collaboratively come together in life, not just on a sports field where it's, you know, it's simpler to do this on a sports, on a sports field, right? It's a game. 
The ones that win, play it better. The ones that lose, play it worse in that moment. What does that look like when we extrapolate it out to living in the world and we start loosening these definitions of what work is? Work is simply coming together and meeting a need in the world. And right now, there are a lot of people that don't have the same opportunities to discover their uniqueness, to shine their light, to to share what makes them special, what makes them different from you. If we're all being forced to be more robotic in our lives, it's the complete opposite of what I'm hoping to be an example of and a, a, a proponent of. And that, just to complete this week's episode, gets back to Ripple. What Ripple's intention ultimately is to bring together, to bridge together all sorts of the different things that represent humanity and to recombine it and to give more opportunities to folks who struggle getting opportunity Because again, being unique in our current world has not necessarily been an easy journey. Let's come together and make it easier for all of us to live our greatness. I thank you again for listening this week. Thank you for bearing with me as the story kind of bounces and it's a little disjointed. I promise I will get better. And remember, taking this all in, these first 10 episodes is really intended to do collectively. Any one episode, you can get a gist perhaps, but it's really intended to take each of the stories of these first 10 that I'm going to be sharing and playing with imagining what it could mean. Because that's what I think. Intuitively, I think there is great meaning to connecting all of this. And I think it's going to be revealed the more of us that play with it within our imaginations. So I thank you. I invite you back next week. Have a tremendous rest of your day and the next six or seven ahead before we journey again.